You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Uh, God, we ask that as we open your word and look at Revelation 7, this wonderful vision of eternity... Uh, that you might give us the physical strength to behold it, but you also might open the eyes of our hearts that we might be captured by this vision and it might drive us through this year all for your glory and for our joy. And these things we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, You know, earlier uh, this week, which means late last year, uh, I was on a walk with a really good friend of mine and he asked me this question. Adam, where would you like to be in a year from now? Where would you like to be in a year from now? And to be honest, I didn't quite know uh, how to answer that question. But it's a good one, isn't it? When you think about it, my friend was effectively asking me to cast a vision for my year, right? A desired future that I long to see come true. And when you think about it, vision is remarkably powerful. It's like the destination that sets our flight path. If we know our vision, we know how to, well, our priorities for how to spend our time, our, our money and our energy. But let me tell you what, vision, is, it's even more powerful than just that. Because when we live in light of a vision, that picture of our desired future, it helps us persevere when life doesn't go according to plan. That vision inspires us to push through the pain because we know that what awaits us on the other end of this will be worth it all. And Christians, we need to live this year, in fact every year, in light not just of our vision, but of God's eternal vision. We need to live our life, every waking moment of our life, in light of the future that God is bringing about. Not just for me, but for our whole world. We need to ask the question, where would God like this world to be, not in one year's time, but in eternity? And then, let that vision set our priorities for how we spend our time, our our money and our energy. And, when the hard times come, when living for Jesus feels impossibly difficult, as it will... Friends, let that vision inspire us to persevere because we know that what awaits us on the other side will be worth it all. You know, that is John's message to the churches in Revelation. The Christians to whom he's writing are living under the persecution of the Roman Empire. So if we think that living for Jesus feels impossibly difficult for us today, well, in those days, Christians literally were being torn to pieces by dogs. They were being crucified. They were being made into human torches to be ignited after dark. Heavy stuff. I can tell you what, if I were in that situation, if my life were under constant threat, all because I follow Jesus, let me be honest, it would be so tempting to give in, wouldn't it? It would be so tempting to give up. Life would be so much easier if I wasn't a Christian. Though, I can think about a number of friends who have thought that before here in Melbourne. And I wonder if you have before as well. Life would be so much easier if I wasn't a Christian. But you know, that's exactly why John has written Revelation. This book seems strange, right? It's full of vivid images, symbolic symbols, because John wants to paint a vision of eternity for us. 
He wants us to behold a vision so compelling that it will inspire our perseverance. He wants us to see that however great our pain, what awaits us on the other side will be worth it all. And so in Revelation 7, in this vision that was so beautifully read for us, we see that God will protect, He will gather and He will comfort His people forever. He will protect, He will gather, and He will comfort His people forever. This week, uh, being that dead time between Christmas and New Year's, where people wander around like zombies and don't know what day it is, I've been passing my time watching a new Korean drama called The Silent Sea. I don't know if any of you have been watching it. If you guys are K-drama fans, they've got Gong Yoo in it, who acts in Goblin, but this is him in space. Um, and it tells the story of a future in which all the water in our world runs dry. And the earth is teetering on the brink of destruction. So, rather realistically, they send a team of astronauts into the moon to bring back a source of water that will never run out. They're looking for protection, salvation even, from the greatest crisis to befall their world. And in Revelation 7, we see a terrifying picture of an even greater crisis. This is the greatest crisis in human history. The crisis is not a global drought, no, it is the righteous wrath and judgment of God. But, in this chapter at least, God's wrath is the canvas on which a beautiful picture of salvation is painted. I wonder if you've seen this sort of photo. It's like a photo of a war-torn wreckage in the background, but in the foreground is the picture of a soldier running out from the wreckage holding a child in his arms. God's wrath is the backdrop against which His mercy shines. Chapter 7, verse 1, we find four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, restraining the four winds of the earth. Don't worry, this is not a science textbook. The Bible is not a flat earther text, right? This is a symbol of God's angels holding back God's righteous wrath from befalling this world. God will not judge this world until He protects His people good news. In verse 3, a fifth angel cries to the others, don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we seal the servants of our God on their foreheads. It's great news that when God returns to judge the living and the dead, you and I and all who trust in Jesus, we will be spared, we'll be protected, we'll be saved from His wrath. You don't have to worry that God might forget you. You don't have to worry that He might, you know, leave you off the list. Because He promises to save every single one of His people. Just look at verses 4 to 8. Look at how many, who's sealed? 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the Israelites. Now, if you can count, you might go, that's it? 144,000? That's about the population of Ballarat, right? If that's how many people are going to be saved. If that's how many people that God is protecting, I don't think there's any room left for me. But don't worry. The number 12 in Revelation is a symbol of completeness. So when we see 144,000, that's 12 number of completeness by 12 tribes of Israel, completeness by 1,000, vast multitude. Can you see what he's saying? The vast multitude of God's people and every single person in it will be protected by God. All of God's people will be protected. None of us will be left behind. And that includes you. 
It's good news. God keeps his promise. He has every promise to every person. And the, so the tribes here in Revelation 7, they don't just represent Israelites. No, they represent all of us who have faith in the Lord Jesus. Notice verse 3. They represent all of us who are servants of God. God will protect every person who has ever belonged to him. And yes, if you trust in him, that includes you. I don't know if you remember, I don't know, maybe three years ago, there was a time where we would actually celebrate the new year and kind of look forward to it. I know we're kind of feeling that a bit now, but for the last two years, the last two years have kind of tempered our optimism, haven't they? They've reminded us that life isn't easy, especially for the Christian. And I know, as much as we might be looking forward to this year, let me just temper our expectations. There may be times in this coming year when our struggle against sin or the pressures of this world might just feel too much. When we feel like giving up, throwing in the towel, or maybe even walking away from God. And friends, when those crises arrive, let this vision inspire you to persevere. Whatever struggle, whatever suffering it might be, God will protect every person who belongs to Him. He will carry you through every crisis. He will carry you through the six seals of Revelation, conquest, conflict, famine, death, martyrdom, and even his own wrath. Nothing in this world, nothing in this world can remove you from God's protection. So however hard this year might get, don't give up. Don't give in. No, no, look. What awaits you on the other side will be worth it all. If you're not a Christian, can I say we're so glad that you're here with us for the very first Sunday of this year. And like us, you might have already realized that our world is pretty broken. And life isn't everything we hoped it to be. And Revelation tells us that one day, unfortunately, it will get worse in one sense. God will judge this world in righteousness. Or all of us will have to stand before Him and all of us will have to give an account for our lives. And I'll at least speak for myself, but that's not good news for me. But God is offering us protection from His judgment, a way of escape, and all we have to do is to run to Him and find refuge in Him. God will protect His people. But not only that, God will gather His people. You know, so many people and cultures in our world think that God is tied down to a particular people or a particular place. So, for example, in Malaysia, to be Malay is to be Muslim. Or for some of my friends, to be Indian is to be a Hindu, or to be Italian is to be a Roman Catholic. But if that's the case, then do you realize God is a king, but only over one tribe of people, not over every tribe in our world? But look at the good news, verses 9 to 12. John, he lifts his eyes and sees, well, what does he see? A vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number. Friends, this isn't a gathering of every tribe of Israel. No, it's a gathering of every tribe in the world. This is, if you want racial diversity, this is racial diversity on a cosmic scale. With people from every tribe and every nation standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And look at what they're doing. Verse 10, all of them are singing in their own tongue, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. 
And then in verse 11, the angels, the elders and the four living creatures join God's gathered people. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. It's beautiful. This is a vision of a people from every tribe and every nation worshipping Christ as King. I love gathering in person as a church in this hall because I get to stand here and hear over a hundred other voices sing, all creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing, hallelujah, hallelujah. It's the best part about regathering. But I want now you to imagine that we're standing not in this hall, praise the Lord on that day, but around the throne of the Lamb. And when you look around you, I mean, I want you to honor your brothers and sisters here, right? We love one another. We're glad we get to sing with one another. But I want to tell you, it'll get so much better. On your left on that day, you'll see this Malaysian uncle right there, right? You'll see this Korean Ajuma over there. So a First Nations elder over there. A Marikal Matua over there. And all of you will be singing God's praises in your own mother tongue, along with millions of other voices. Voices in English. Voices in Japanese, voices in German, in Korean, in Vietnamese, and yes, in Anandiliakwa. All of our voices in one chorus of the saved, singing to Jesus, our King. Man, there's a vision worth living for. And notice as well, right? We talk about racial diversity. Right now, it's all the rage of our world, right? We want true racial reconciliation. But notice in eternity, this is not an eternal sea of heavenly beige where everyone's exactly the same. No, our diversity and our differences are not assimilated out. No, this is this colorful panorama, this sea of diversity that finds our unity in worship of the Lord Jesus. The gospel is the story of God gathering a people out of every tribe and every nation for one purpose, to worship His Son. What is the chief end of man? What is the great goal of our life and existence? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So let me ask, does your salvation lead you to a deeper worship of the Lord. You know, I suspect that many of us, we're relieved, right? It's like, oh, thank God, right? We're relieved that we've been protected from God's wrath. But how many of us actually rejoice in giving God glory? Does the message of the gospel make you think, oh, I'm saved, what a relief? It should, but it shouldn't stop there. It should compel us even further than that. Does your salvation move your heart? Does it drive you to your knees? Does it make you lift up your heart? Or if you're so inclined, lift up your hands even? Does the gospel lead you to cry out with the angels, the elders and the four living creatures? Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Why do you exist? We exist to worship the Lord. And the vision of God is an eternity of worldwide worship. And that's why as a church, 
We long to see every tribe worship Christ as king. We are on a mission to see that vision become our reality. Because just as John Piper perfectly puts it, mission exists because worship doesn't. Mission exists because worship doesn't. But when you look at that vision of eternity and then you look at our world today, it can be a bit depressing, can't it? When we see our society turn against the gospel, our workplaces restrict our public witness, and maybe our own family and friends worship seemingly anything and everything other than the Lord Jesus. And in those moments of despair, brothers and sisters, do not lose heart. Because this eternal vision guarantees, that word's important, it guarantees that one day people from every tribe will Worship the Lord. What you read here, it is not a hypothetical possibility. It is a guaranteed future. And if we live in light of this vision, I'll tell you what, we can persevere through the biggest setbacks and the greatest challenges because we know that however dark our days, what awaits us on the other side will be worth it all. God will protect His people and God will gather His people. And finally, God will comfort his people you know i know that many of you here have paid a great price to follow the lord jesus for some of you it's costed friendships for others it's even strained your relationship with your parents and some of you have grown up in households which have great made great sacrifices to serve the lord and let's face it in a moment of honesty don't we sit there and wonder was it worth it the cost the loss and the sacrifice. But brothers and sisters, it is of faithful people like you and your families that the angel says in verse 14, no, 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 these, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You see, white robes represent victory. They're worn by those who persevere and those who overcome. This is saying that in the end, when we see that what awaits, us on the, what awaits us on the other side, I can tell you every cost, every loss, every sacrifice, it'll have been worth it all. But here's what's fascinating. You see in verse 14, think about the color, right? They washed the robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That doesn't make any sense. I'm not going to suggest that you go home and try this, Right? But if, if our roads have been stained by blood, shouldn't they be dyed red rather than washed white? But John is showing us a profound truth. You and I will overcome through the death of the Lord Jesus. The blood of the Lamb saves us from the wrath of the Lamb. And just as the Israelites were protected from God's wrath by the blood of a Lamb in Egypt so too will we be protected from God's wrath by the blood of Christ the Lamb. But, but notice, that blood didn't just wash our sins once. We often think Jesus died once, He washed us once, and that's it. No, friends, He has washed our sins away forever. In a hymn that many of you are probably too young to remember, Dear dying Lamb, Thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. You see, friends, you and I have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. 
And that means that you and I are safe and secure forever. In verse 15, the one seated on the throne will shelter us. And in verse 16, we get this beautiful picture. We will no longer hunger. Praise be to God. We will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike us, nor will any scorching heat, much worse than today. You see, all the sufferings of this world will one day be no more. Just picture it. No more disappointment. No more depression. No more disease. No more disaster. No more death. Why? Because in verses 15 and 17, the Lamb, the Lord Jesus, seated on the throne, Jesus will reign as King. And when He does, I want you to just notice this beautiful irony of verse 17. The Lamb will shepherd us. He will guide us to springs of the waters of life and God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Think back on your last year or two. I know about the lives that a lot of you have had over the last years or two, and I know mine as well. And let's face it, too many tears have been shed over the last two years, haven't they? Broken relationships, broken friendships, broken societies, broken nations. We live in a broken world, and all of us, Christian or not, don't we long for a new world? But then zero it in think about all those Christian believers who have suffered so much for the sake of the gospel. I'm sure you know people in this hall and in your life who have paid a cost for suffering for the gospel. But let me tell you about our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. Something maybe familiar to some of you, Pastor Raymond Coe in Malaysia, who in February 2017 was suddenly abducted and never seen again. The 17 missionaries in Haiti, including a three-year-old child, who were kidnapped just three weeks ago and who are being held hostage for a $22 million ransom. Or Priyanta Diawaranage, a factory manager in Sri Lanka who just last month was beaten to death and set alight having been accused of blasphemy against Islam. That is the ordinary experience of the Christian today. We are the minority. And I can't imagine what Christians in Malaysia, Haiti and Sri Lanka must have felt when they heard that news. Surely in those moments it must have been so hard to see God's eternal vision through that thick fog of persecution. But I can promise you this, Pastor Raymond Coe, those 17 missionaries and our brother Priyanta, all of them were driven by this eternal vision. And God promises that one day He will comfort them forever. And He will bring out about a world which will be the end of all suffering. Brothers and sisters, if we live in light of this vision of eternal comfort, we will know that whatever the loss, whatever the cost, whatever the sacrifice, what awaits us on the other side, I promise you, it'll be worth it all. God will protect us. God will gather us. And God will comfort us. This time last year, we entered 2021 with that upbeat optimism, right? You remember how foolish we were? This is going to be the end of COVID. Life is going to be so much better. Didn't last long, right? But the reality is that for all of its joys, life isn't easy. Even in normal times, 
And 2022, for all that we hope it might be, may actually be just as hard as the years that have come before, though in different ways. Isn't it funny, in Australia or in the West, we live with a vision of one year, right? One calendar year, one academic year, one financial year. That's why we make New Year's resolutions, because we think that suddenly, when the clock strikes 12 a.m. on the 1st of January, everything magically resets. But God is calling us, don't live with a one-year horizon. Live with a vision for eternity. Make resolutions, not for one year, but for your whole life. Not just in this world, but in the world to come. And if we live in light of God's eternal vision, I promise you, we will be able to persevere through the biggest setbacks and the greatest challenges. When you are tempted to think you cannot stand and keep going as a believer, Brothers and sisters, lift your eyes. God will protect His people. When you're tempted to think that your family, your friends and this world will never turn to the Lord, lift your eyes. God will gather His people. And when you're tempted to think that the cost, the loss, the sacrifice of following the Lord Jesus are just far too great, lift your eyes. One day, God will comfort His people forever. But maybe you're sitting here and thinking, Adam, it's a bit of a downer. I'm actually really looking forward to this year. And if that's you, I'm so glad for you, right? Maybe you've got a bit more optimism, ambition than that. And if that's you, here's my challenge. Why not make this year and every year the year where you make God's vision your great ambition? The year where you make God's vision your ambition. Why not devote more time to introduce your non-Christian friends to your Christian friends, right? Don't do evangelism as a solo player, right? Don't just run out onto the field by yourself. You'll just get shot down, right? Like, introduce your non-Christian friends to your Christian friends. Why not devote more time to doing that? Why not commit yourself to pray for the salvation of one non-Christian friend every week? Just say, every Sunday night, after dinner, I'm going to go home, And I'm going to make sure I pray for this one non-Christian friend. As unlikely as it seems, remember, God will gather His people. Pray. Why not research and understand the particular needs of one unreached people group in our world? A a people group where less than 2% of them know the Lord Jesus. Read about them. Commit them in prayer. Lift them up to the Lord. Talk about it. Let your heart be set on that unreached people group. Why not increase your financial giving to church, a ministry training, or an overseas missionary to see the gospel go out even further? Why not set aside even your safe and secure career, maybe to serve the Lord in full-time gospel ministry? We've got a goal to train five gospel workers in five years. We're at two in two so far. Who's going to be our third, our fourth, or our fifth? Come to me and come and talk to me if you're interested. Maybe that's not you, but you know someone here it could be. Why not this year throw someone under the bus, right? Where would you like to be in a year from now? To be honest, my friend asked me and I didn't know the answer. And on a personal level, I kind of still don't. And maybe like me, you might look at this year and personally you might think, oh, it's a bit unclear. Don't know what there is to look forward to. Don't worry. God invites you and me to make His vision our ambition. So here's my answer. Where would I like to be in a year from now? In some way, 
one step closer to seeing every tribe worship Christ as King. Will you join me in that great ambition? Let me pray. God, we approach this year with a whole range of feelings. Apprehension, optimism, pessimism, despair, joy. Whatever emotion there is, we're feeling it. But God, we ask that you might steal us with this vision of eternity. And with that vision of eternity in our sights, that whatever might come our way this year, we might persevere well, knowing what it is that you call us to commit our lives to. And if we are people who are not yet sure, if we follow the Lord Jesus, may this day be the first day that we trust in you, that we find refuge and protection from your wrath, knowing that one day you will gather us around your throne and comfort us forever. Please, God, we ask that you might be doing these things all for Jesus' sake. Amen.